0: Speak unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pahiroth, something like that, Hiroth, how about that? Between Migdal and the sea, over against baal there before it shall ye encamp by the sea. And Pharaoh will say the children of Israel, they are entangled, confused in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host as Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and of his service was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out from on with a high hand. And the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camping by the sea beside Pihoth, Pihoth, Heroth, before Beelzefah. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel looked up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they cried, or said unto Moses, Because there was no graze in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word which we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. I put my resignation in right there, had it been Moses. <laughs> and Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Or this is an amazing account. Perhaps on the equivalent of the resurrection in the New Testament is this wonderful provision of parting of the Red Sea in the Old. So Lord, I pray that I do nothing to detract from this message of this text. Lord, specifically I want to center in on is doing your will, your way. What help us to be obedient this evening. Be with Cindy teaching downstairs. Thank you for the number who's chosen to be here. May we rejoice in your house next few moments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, we have in America quite a few words for the situation we call a predicament. If you are from the East, you might call it a, uh, I don't know, being in a pinch. I know my mother-in-law would say she would want to pinch somebody's head off. I don't think that's the same thing. And I hope it wasn't me, Uh, Mrs. Wampler, I hope it wasn't me. Uh, Or if you're a cook, we're in a jam, or we're in a pickle, If you're from the South, you might have stayed between a rock and a hard place. They're all manner of expressions. Foreigners are probably scratching their heads trying to decipher what we mean by up a wall, up a tree, in a corner, up against it, hard-pressed. That's a fine kettle of fish. We're in deep water. It's an impasse. We're in hot water now. It's a deadlock. Uh, We're in a bad strait. We're in a quagmire. I guess if you're a ditch digger, you might be in a quagmire. So a lot of things, and there's a humorous accounting of the apt description of a real predicament. A predicament is, someone has said, an attorney who specializes in questionable medical malpractice suits and finds himself in need of a major surgery. That's a predicament. This is where the people are in our text. We're actually not going to get to the miracle tonight, but I want to think about this evening. Are they there at God's direction? Are they in this corner Because God led them, it's almost like a catch-22. Thomas Paine referred to such times as those times that try men's souls. Did God really lead them to Zephon to be in a corner where nothing seemed to work? Did God really do that? Perhaps we are in a predicament right now. Now this miracle, Butler says, regarding the miracle, the miraculous parting of the waters of the Red Sea to divert Israel, sorry, to deliver Israel and destroy Pharaoh's army was one of the most significant miracles in the history of the nation of Israel. Arthur Pink says, the miracle of the Red Sea occupies a similar place in the Old Testament scriptures as the resurrection of the Lord Jesus does in the New. It is appealed to as a standard of measurement as the supreme demonstration of God's power, end of quote. Yet, the people in the moment, and we just read the verses, they are upset because what would you bring us here for? Are we in the right place? I thought we were doing God's will here. Someone has written that the story of Exodus 14 is one of the best known events in the entire Bible and might in fact be the one that is best known events in all the world, particularly the modern developed world. Centuries later, Isaiah said, Art thou not it the one who hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransomed to pass? The heathen even knew about this. Rahab of Jericho said, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, and when you came out of Egypt, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did they remain any more encouraged in any man because of you. I'm telling you, it wasn't like some little inch high water that they sort of just sort of tiptoed. It wasn't that. It was a monstrous thing that God did. It's ironic that though Israel and the nations, even her enemies, were very impressed by the Red Sea miracles for centuries, skeptics in our time say, "Oh, we're going to try to explain that away. Oh, it was a very, 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 very shallow part of the water." A pastor went to a a visiting pastor was teaching the children's church one Sunday, and he said the story. He was trying to get the. Young children to believe the story that the water was real shallow and they were able to make it through because they were able to, to go out like that. And the little boy said, I don't think so because how did that drown Pharaoh's chariots and horses if it's so shallow? So we need to believe what the Bible says. Period. Steve Harness sent me several years ago uh, an article that actually had dug up and found chariots in the Red Sea. And so it's quite, quite uh, whether they have or not, God's word still is true. So we have the enemy, and we have then the excuses, and we have the explanation, and we have next time the entrance, and we have next time the exit. All ease. First of all, the enemy, we have the purpose. In verse 1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, It's interesting, of all the Israelites who are leaving, every single one has been pretty much Egyptianized, if you would. I mean, they've been born there. They've been raised there. Their lifestyle is Egyptian. They have the earmarks, the habits, the smell, their leeks and the garlic. Probably their breath smells like the Egyptian's breath, eating the leeks and the garlic. You probably want to stay a good distance away from them. I'm not sure, but there we are. But in order to do that, he had to first get their attention that God wants to move and has a different plan for them. Now, if you want to review for just a moment in 13, 18, but the the Lord led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. So here we have the people in our text are up against it. Their backs are to the wall. They're against to rock in a hard place where they're going to be in our text later on next week. So the people of Israel have come to an impasse. But why are they here? Is it something they have done wrong? No, they are actually doing exactly what God had told them to do. They're there at God's direction. Not an accident. Well, it was not a wrong turn. It was not a miscalculation. He knew they needed the Red Sea to learn some things about him. Perhaps you've had a Red Sea moment. I've had, I've had one of those, a like, uh, Red Sea moment. They're not fun, I will have to say. 21 of 13, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of the cloud to lead them the way. And by night a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. So the Lord has led them, going before them. But how did God go before them? A pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, a pretty incredible thing. You and I have never experienced that. We haven't. I do not believe. I don't see any clouds hovering over Uh, all the vehicles waiting for us. And as soon as you get in there, here we go. We're going down this way to home. We're going that way to home. We're going whatever. You're walking home. I don't see any of those. I remember when Stephanie and I were going and we were in 1991, the summer of 91, and we had gone to visit Berean and, and uh, we were so confused. And I got to the point, I said, you know what, if a flaming arrow landed in front of our car, I think it's for this person behind me. That's how come, I don't know what to do. And so the God cleared that what up and here we are today. That's a long time ago, 91. However, the Israelites were privy to something no one else has ever had, the presence of Jehovah during the day, during the night, have you ever wrestled, perhaps recently, with the will of God? Some of my deepest wrestlings involve the ability to discern. Well, more—I'll like, just be honest with you. What I have wanted to do is to move God to where I want God to be. I said it this morning that I pray. Well, Lord, here's what I want you to do. Have you ever whined when you prayed? Okay, I have. Well, I'm begging. I'm. Have you, ever, Lord? I'm begging. I'm begging. And that's just the wrong way. Can I just say? And the song, uh, very, I want to cry when I think about the song we're going to hear at the end. We need to say, you know better than I. A very simple little word. You know better than I. And that's the life that is surrendered to what God wants. Uh, I I have to be a little envious of the Israelites. I mean, they've got a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. I mean, it's like following the leader. The cloud moves forward, we go forward. It moves back, we go back. It goes starboard, we go starboard. It goes uh, port, we go port. It stops, we stop. It goes, it goes. It's pretty simple. I mean, it's cut and dry. The night you have the pillar of fire to follow and the cloud there during the day, God transformed himself into the, the Shekinah glory at night to protect them, to warn them, to keep the snakes off out of their tents because he's fire. I hope that's what they did. Day and night, he's watching. Unquestionable presence. He went before them. Wouldn't that be great? Suppose you want to know about God's will for moving. Should I move here? Should I move there? What do you do? Just look up. Well, the cloud's going there. First thing you know, Jeb the millionaire. He's gone to hills. Beverly Hills, that is. There he goes. Or, how about God's will for a job, occupation? You fill it out I say, oh, here we go. The, the cloud's right over Steel Ventures in Wirtland, Kentucky. Well, that's where I'm going. Steel Ventures, Wirtland, Kentucky. There we go. Five Co. out on, on, around the new industrial parkway. Park's right there. Now, I, I had to look hard to see that one. But it was there. I just had, it just got there eventually. Maybe it took the roundabout route. I'm not sure, but there it was. How about for a mate? You're wondering if the girl you're courting or, or dating is, is the right one God's choice. So you open her door, and there's little clouds hovering right over her head. This is the one. This is the one. And you go to Jared so you can say you've been there. And you buy the ring, and you pop the question, Will you marry me? Will it? Mean it? I'll do it. How do you know? God's will is right there. Woo-hoo. Okay. Okay. Did you see it? Over? I don't see it over here, sir. <laughs> Did you see it over there? And so there we are. <coughs> That's how simple it was for the Israelites when it came to following God's leading. They never had questions. They never have made a wrong turn. No, we know exactly what to do. The pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. Let's go! But we're beside a sea. We've got mountains here, mountains there, desert there. And behind us, we've got the same old man who's been driving us crazy for the last years. What are we going to do now? And the Lord spake unto Moses one. You see... God spoken to Moses. He said, I think I don't think Moses could respond in chapter 14, verse number 13, if he hasn't had 40 years in the desert. Because I tell you what, though people saying those things to me, do you not know how much I have given up to do this already? How much of my life I'm giving up? Every spare minute I'm giving over to you, and you're not a bit grateful you want to go back? I'm delivering you out of there, and you want to be gone for two months, and you're wanting to go back already? Hmm. Can you not see how we might respond? He's been in the desert for 40 years. He's sort of calmed down. He didn't kill them. I mean, 40 years earlier, he might have chopped off their heads, every one of them. You know, that's I'm just teasing, but you see how much he's grown? See, what he's learned is this. You do not question God. When God says, go to the Red Sea, you get on your horse. Four, four-wheeler, car, truck, whatever it is. You do not wait. Verse 2 speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Piha Pahiroth before Migdal and the sea over against Baal Sivan before it shall be encamped by the sea and Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel they, they're entangled in the land and the wilderness has shut them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and that's the whole purpose of the plagues that the Egyptians hey listen there's one true God and your, your gods are not it this is the God to bring all these plagues on, and he's the one true God. Now it's interesting, not everyone agree, but Swindoll says, what well, this going was backtracking. He's asking them to go backwards and return. It says in one of the verses, but turn. Go backtrack to the by the sea along the sea. Now remember, they're taking the long route already. There was a ten-day route if you took it along the coast, but that's where all the fortresses of Egypt were, and they'd have been halted and had to fight and all those things. So he sends them down by the Red Sea to save them and to grow them, etc., and to their and what they should be. So here they are. It was a troublesome time for them. It was a perfect cul-de-sac. It's a dead-end street just to the north where the Egyptian fortresses, The massive stone structures. nowhere to get through there. The word entangled there means perplexed, to wander with perplexity. South was the vast Egyptian desert, Miserum, no protection there. To the west was Ramesses and Goshen. That's where they had just come from. And on this side, the, the Red Sea. So they are between a rock, 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 and a hard place. And so they are a difficult spot during the Red Sea, it was quite the predicament. A fine kettle of fish, if you would. F.B. Meyer says this, The most inexperienced eyes in the whole multitude must have seen the apparent absurdity of the movement. And loud and deep must have been the murmurs and the protestations of the people. Is this the way to Canaan? We know better. How dare you presume to lead us when your very first tactics prove you to be wholly untrustworthy? It is not easy to lead people on a path that seems contrary to human reasoning, but any man who will lead people spiritually will sooner or later find himself having to do so. It doesn't make sense in my thinking to do it this way, but this is what God has called us to do. The purpose, and then there's the person that would be the, under the enemy now, the person in verse 5, and is told the king of Egypt. Now, I like what Matthew Henry says. Now, Matthew Henry lived, I'm thinking, the 1600s, pretty sure. The liberty of God's people is a heavy grievance to their enemies. That hits home right now in our own country. The liberty of God's people is a heavy grievance to their enemies. We don't want want to hear from you, number one. We're going to shout you down, number two. And we don't care to hear any more about you, number three. So it did not take long for Pharaoh to regret the liberty he's given to Israel. And this regret soon became a motivation. I'm going to get them back. We're going to hunt them down. I like this. I thought I found this little tidbit about sin. Sin. It not only overpowers conscience, sin, but it makes a man forget for a time all the sufferings under which he positively writhed before. It obliterates all the lessons of past experience, sets aside even the operations of the understanding, and hurries the sinner on with rapid steps to his own destruction. That's just it. We forget how bad sin is, and we forget that, and something comes along and we get our minds been colder eyes, even it our memory, and we get involved in it again. Don't you forget what that hangover was or what that was, or how you treated your spouse when you did that, or what you did this, or how you acted so inappropriately when you got involved in that? Uh, I don't remember any that. And that's what sin does. Spurgeon says nothing but the grace of God will truly humble men. These Egyptians have been crushed by terrible plagues into a false kind of humility, but they were soon as proud as ever. Nothing but the omnipotent grace of God can really subdue a proud and stubborn heart. You want to see how small you are? Look at how great God is. Get you? Get you? Go go to the Creation Center, uh, Creation uh, over in uh, over there. Yeah, we Dr. Uh, yeah. Creation Science Center, I can't remember what's the name of it. Creation Museum, thank you. And go see the, uh, the thing where you watch the planets, the planetarium. My goodness gracious. You want to see how small we are and how great he is. You need to do it. Before you, that's what got to be on your bucket list if you've not done it. Militarily, Baal Zephon was the most vulnerable spot. It's like you're being chased by hoodlums and you, you turn your car down a dead-end alley and you're by yourself and they're all ninja ninja turtle type people and they're going to beat you to pulp and take all your money. A bad plan turning down to a dead-end alley because you're going to get caught. Humanly speaking, it would be most foolish for them to... you And you let us here. And I thought I was, we were doing what you wanted, Lord, and we, we're, we're here in this spot... Pharaoh even knew he was going to trap him. matter of fact, it says in 2 and 3, God said, you know, Pharaoh's going to think he's got you trapped and he's going to chase after you, and I'm going to be honored in it. Clear. God arranges it all. Can we just stop for a moment? As you walk with God, he arranges it all. I've struggled with that. Have you not sometimes struggled with that? Why? Why, Lord? I want some answers. The song says we're going to listen to it at the end. says, I'll take what answers he gives. I'll take the answers he gives. Pharaoh took the best and the rest. He took the 600 chosen chariots. If you look on there, it says, and all the chariots. So he has all of his army. The 600 chariots, says one man, these chosen chariots contained the flower and chivalry of Egypt, were most probably the royal guard, which according to Herodotus consisted of 2,000 men selected by turns every year from the entire army. And he took the rest, all the chariots of Egypt. He took his whole army. Why is that important? God's going to be glorified. It's important to emphasize those details. And Rawlinson said, God destroyed the most potent armed force in the entire world. In one sea. The purpose, the person, the pursuing. Verse 8. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out from a, with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen, etc., and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Piha or Hirath before Baal Zephon. Once more, Pharaoh has God has done or Israel has done precisely what God wanted. They started moving north, thinking this is God's way. This is going to be a great experience. And now they're in camp, and they've got this all around. Can you imagine? They're getting ready to move, and all of a sudden they hear, I I hear something. It sounds like thunder. must be going to be a big storm. Uh, I don't think that's thunder. Oh, I think it's horse's hooves. Oh, and look, look at the dust. Oh no, it's it's Pharaoh. He's coming to chase us down. He's going to, either it's going to be a massacre or he's going to take us all back and we're going to be a slaves again. We can imagine the panic. Can you imagine how quickly the winds of panic swept through the two million people? One and a half million, whatever. All the people. Oh my, I would have been petrified. I mean, we just getting escaped from this. And now he's coming after us. The enemy's determined. The excuses are next in ten. And Pharaoh do not. the children of Israel, looked up their eyes, and behold, Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. By the way, I would have been very afraid as well. The number one army in the world, likely. The first time we read, the, the people of Israel in mass crying out to the Lord. Their, Henry says, their fear set them a-praying, and that was a good effect of it. See, God brings us, I don't want to tell you this necessarily, because it's not joyful, but he wants to work in your life to make you more like him. And if you don't learn the first day, the second day, the third week, the third month, the first year, he may just keep you right there until you say, you know what, Lord, I can't fix it. I'm just going to leave it with you. You know better than I. Isn't it remarkable what a predicament would do to our proud, stubborn hearts? We walk in with a swagger, strutting our stuff like some prideful peacock. A pastor this very week in this very county said to his congregation, Some of the most arrogant people on earth are those in full time Christian ministry. Shame on Christians for that. But the, things, but the things begin to change, and it's not long before we come up to the end of our rope. I think I heard someone say when they get to the rope, they're climbing back up, and that's great but sometimes we come to the end of our rope and it's, it's something we can't get out on and we are in a jam and we, there's no way to look but up, dear Lord, please, and we cry out. So there's a focused fear and then there's fault finding in 11. It said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Immediately, now who did they pick on? Well, naturally it was the preacher. It was you, Moses. You took us away here. They're crying out. How how, how do they handle this predicament? They're going to find someone to to divert the attention. That's such popular today. When you're in trouble, let's start something over here and divert the attention away from what you have done or have not done, etc. A fault finding, a focus fear, and forgetful feelings in 12. Is not this the word that we did tell you, thee thee in Egypt? I told you so. Now, that's not something I receive very well. I told you so. I told you so. Did I that? And I sometimes it's not too bad if it's not something really important, but I just don't necessarily like that. Now, the, uh, the rights paraphrase, we would rather be in safety as slaves than to be free men in danger. We want our lives. I like what Butler says. This sixth statement of the Israelites made to Moses is like those made by compromisers when communism was so dominant they would say, I'd rather be red than what? Dead. But the true patriot says just the opposite. I'd rather be dead than red. Matter of fact, as Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Spiritually speaking, you and I have got to be set on that. If someone says deny your Christ Christ, or lose your head, lose your head. Uh, I, know, I don't know if it's going to come to that or not. I hope it never does here. But there are people who face that across the world all the time. Yeah. We, we just don't, they may not lose their head, but they may lose their lives, they may be in, tortured, etc. George Wagner says, It is the property of unbelief to make the heart think any other circumstance preferable to its own. It's the heart of unbelief to make the heart think any other circumstances preferable to its own. So the enemy, excuses and explanation. As we go along, we're just tying it up. Salvation, starting verse 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. And the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore, Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. Humanly speaking, predicaments are terrible experiences. And so never, though, perhaps was the fortitude of a man so severely tried and tested, I think, as Moses is here. He's the meekest man on earth, Numbers 12.3, but he is a man that shows that right here. He did not fly off the handle. He did not murder anyone. He did not lose his cool. He handled it because of God's marvelous grace leading. Can you imagine leading at least a one and a half million people? the logistics, the complaining, the leading, all these different things. And so Moses handles it right. If you stay in one predicament long enough, you will begin to question the very roots of your faith sometimes. By and by, you'll begin to look for someone to blame, usually there's someone in leadership. And you might think to yourself, look, I took all your counsel, Pastor. I did what you said. But here I am at the end of my rope. I've tied a knot. I'm hanging on and I'm dangling. There's no net to fall on. And you're the reason... We may not be the pastor, maybe a spouse, maybe, I don't know, your boss. But we must be impressed with Moses. He did not say, as many would say, God helps those who help themselves. By the way, it's not the Bible at all. It's not. No, God helps the helpless. God helps those who are seeking him, who are longing to serve him. God helps. And when we've come to the end of our hoarded resources, the songwriter says, is that Flint? I'm not sure. Our Father's full giving has only begun. He's waiting for that. He's waiting for you to run out of money or whatever it is. Or He's waiting for you to everlasting arms. Perfect song for tonight. Fall on his everlasting arms. It's all part of his plan. Fear ye not, he says in verse 13. Hey, wait just a moment, Moses. Do you not have your contacts in? Because have you not seen who's right here? Who's coming up behind us? I mean, Moses, please look carefully. Are you Please preserve us from this sneer-sided shepherd. I can see fine. Matter of fact, 40 years later, he still could see fine when he died. I believe the Bible says he was still uh, in good shape. Uh, Paraphrasing again. Don't fear. I'm going to tell you, don't fear. Matter of fact, we're going to go a little bit further. 13, stand still. And also, see your watch. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now there's prescription for people in an inescapable predicament. Do not be afraid. Stand still. Watch God, and quit talking, and start listening. That's the prescription, Pastor. That you need to follow yourself. You're right. The hardest is this force, though, is watching, waiting for God to come through. In a predicament, we want. Have you ever seen? Uh, as you're preaching, by the way, no one ever does this here, but it's like. Or turn, the, turn the, the sand over again. Whew, preach is about done. Oh, Do you know what time it is? Pastor, time to close up. But we're like that with God. Stand still. And see the salvation of God. Waiting. I tell you what, the word we don't like to hear, we almost would rather hear no than wait. Wait. Wait a little longer. And we think that God's on our timetable. He's Time is for us, not for Him. And I think I uh, you know, I, 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 his patience is amazing. God has allowed this cul de sac Are you in a predicament? How are you handling it? I love this Annie Johnson Flint poem, and then we're going to hear the psalm. Pressed out of measure and pressed to all length, pressed so intensely, it seems beyond strength. Pressed in the body, pressed in the soul. pressed in the mind till the dark surges roll. Pressure by foes and pressure by friends, pressure on pressure till life nearly ends. Pressed into loving the staff and the rod, pressed into knowing no helper but God. Pressed into liberty where nothing clings. Pressed into faith for impossible things. Pressed into loving a life in the Lord. Pressed into living the Christ life outboard. See, that's what he wants. I'm on the first part. Lord, you're pressing me, pressing me yet. I'm doing this so that you will turn back or get rid of or start doing and look more like Christian than you've been looking like and wake up to what I have for you. I trust you have your music, words to the music there. And we are going to listen. This is Joseph in the dungeon. Joseph in the dungeon. <laughs> i okay. to me because when I am so not following he knows he knows better he will trust him. let's pray Lord I thank you for this song don't know the author I know that Joseph from the Bible and Lord if it was a song that uh, Joseph could sing it would be it. why he suffered as he did why he was put in prison, why he was not released, all these whys. And yet we we know he said this because at the end, chapter 50, he said, but God meant it for good. Lord, help me to forgive me for being such an arrogant person where I think that I can, my knowledge is better than yours or that my way supersedes yours. Lord, forgive me. May we humble ourselves before you, even this evening. May the words of this psalm, maybe even just the phrase, you know better than I, help us this week when difficult time has come, that you are yet in control, and we are not. Help us to serve you faithfully. Peace Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In closing, I thought a hymn that goes right along with this idea is 421.